So I was going to start off from a point of weakness, um, because I don't want you to think that, um, oh thank you, um, that as I stand up here, um, that I'm somehow stronger than you, or, or better than you, because that's not true. Um, I discovered at a young age that um, I had uh, the potential to fail. Oh, that's better. Um, so um, my first experience of failure was riding a bike. Um, I'm sure you've had that experience as a child too. Um, riding along, I vividly remember it, um, putting on the wrong brake. Um, I think my, my older brother had taught me to ride bikes. My dad hadn't bothered. So my, dad, my brother basically set me up. He's older than me. He just pulled the brake. Um, so, so I pulled the brake, pulled the front brake, and straight over the top, outside the newsagents. Remember it well, landing on my back and thinking, ow. Um, I remember... Uh, the other time when my brother, again, it was him again, um, set up a, a ramp, a chipboard ramp. It looked strong enough, probably wasn't. Stack of bricks, you know the deal. Um, here we go, ride down the garden, hit the ramp, over we go. Woo, big jump. And of course, when I had a go, it snapped in half, didn't it? And I ended up on my back again. So somehow I just seemed to have a bad idea about bikes. And uh, I remember rock climbing, a bit older, going rock climbing in the, in the Lake District. And, and the leader saying to me, all you've got to do is reach across and stick your finger in that hole on that rock bit, that, that bit there, uh, and then just, just launch yourself across, and you'll land on the ledge, which was about eight millimetres. He said, it is quite difficult, though. So I, I had no choice. I couldn't go down, couldn't go up, so I had to go across. So I launched myself, missed the hole, missed the ledge, and had to be dragged up about two metres. And I remember feeling quite embarrassed because everyone was laughing. I remember um, playing rugby at school, we didn't play rugby at school, but we begged for it because we wanted to play rugby. Uh, and I remember being tackled by a guy who had played rugby um, properly and landing on my shoulder and breaking my shoulder blade, thinking I was invincible and no one could ever catch me, and he got me. Um, it goes on. Uh, older than that, I remember going to the Himalaya uh, with a mission trip, and I had dysentery. If you've ever had that, that's bad. That's where you spend three or four days on the toilet, and we didn't have toilets. So it was a bad experience, and, uh, and I spent a long time recovering from that. Um, and, and who can forget the minibus uh, debacle when I started driving minibuses for school uh, and decided to take a trip to Sheffield. We went to Meadow Hall. Uh, we used to call it Meadow Hell when I was a student. It's a massive shopping centre. And at Meadow Hall, you have many different car parks. And I decided, we had a big roof rack on the bus, I decided I, I got the right lane, but I ended up in the wrong lane. And this lane, particularly uh, bad idea, because it went underground. And it was the underground car park. Only suitable, really, for cars and low vehicles. Um, so I got in the, in the queue, and as we came around the corner, there's the barrier. You know, the, the metal bar hanging down. And I'm thinking, oh, that looks a bit low. Um, look in the mirrors, five or six cars behind me. We're in a concrete channel, no way out. Embarrassing. Uh, had no choice but to push underneath the barrier... And I was about two centimetres underneath the ceiling of the car park all the way around. <laughs> it did a bit of damage, but I managed to thump it out, you know, so no one ever knew. But I'll confess it now, it was ten years ago. But, uh, you know, <laughs> nobody's perfect, you know. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so there we go. And we read about human weakness all the way through the Bible, right from the beginning, from Adam and Eve eating an apple they were told not to eat. Um, Jacob deceived his father to gain his brother's blessing. Samson, a mighty man, surrendered his authority because of lust. Um, David committed adultery and then murder to cover it up. 
Uh, we look at Jonah, ran away from God. He's specifically told to do something. He went the opposite direction. Peter, in the New Testament, denied Jesus three times, having said he would never do that. Thomas doubted the resurrection um, until he saw Christ in the flesh. Paul had a thorn in his flesh that he struggled with. We don't know what it was, but he had something that was troubling him throughout his life. You know, there is human weakness written in the pages of this book right from the beginning to the end. And that's good because we are weak and we need God, don't we? And we see as well in those pages the goodness of God coming through, uh, all the way through it. We see individuals from, from the lowliest, the peasants, right up to the kings, right at the top, being restored and forgiven and set back on their feet. Uh, we see families being reconciled. We see um, nations falling apart and being put back together again and recreated. This is an amazing book if you've never read it. So I want to focus on two things that God wants us to know this morning that will help us to grow uh, as a church and as an individual. Firstly, we need to allow Christ's power to rest on us. Okay, I'll just give that a moment to sink in. We need to allow Christ's power to rest on us, okay, as a church, as a body, but also you as an individual. And the second thing, we need to become stronger as a community because we are not just a bunch of individuals that gather. We are a community. We're a family, and we need to be stronger in our relationships with one another and in our relationships as a body, okay? So that's where I'm coming from today. I believe that um, as, as we move into this, that it'll be like, uh, like a shift spiritually. Um, a bit like, um, I was thinking about this, uh, a travelator. Have you been at the airport recently? You've seen the travelators? They're really good fun. You know, when you're pulling your suitcase along, and you think, I've got about a mile to walk. I know it's like that in some, some of the European airports, to get to your gate where your plane's waiting. And you, you just see the travelator. You think, oh, thank goodness. I just get on the travelator, and it takes me there. And it's like that, you know, when someone gets on the travelator and they whiz along beside you and they go, <laughs> loser. <laughs> and that's how it feels. It's almost like we're going to step onto a travelator this morning um, and just advance in the kingdom. You know, I was really um, pleased that uh, John came up with that uh, humility thing this morning and, and lots of us responded, um, coming down here and, and humbling ourselves before God. You know, once you've kneeled, you then have to stand. And, it, and it's really good to kneel because it puts you in the right position before God. But once you've done that, you've got to get up and you've got to stand in faith as well. And I really felt God wanted to say that this morning, that those of us that responded and those that are in our seats wanting to respond, you needed to realize that it's not just about humility, it's also about faith. But God is choosing people and God is using people of humility and obedience he always has. Again, if you go through the Bible right from the beginning to end, he's picking the humble ones. He's picking the lowliest, and he's demonstrating his glory and his power through them. He's not picking the, the kings. Sometimes it was actually the kings that came down. You know, it, was, it was them that fell apart, and it was the humble ones that took their place. Um, last weekend, I was in North Wales with a, a bunch of teenagers. We were doing some um, expeditions and I was in charge, and um, I was sat in a minibus this time last week in 30-degree heat, um, listening to Test Match Special on Long Wave, and laughing along um, as we uh, struggled towards a victory there. 
And, uh, and the only other radio channel I could get, apart from Radio 4 Longways, was um, Atlantic 252. Do you remember the old um, 252 radio, the Irish radio? I don't know if you've ever listened to it. It's RTE. RTE1. All across the nation. So I was listening to some of that as well. It's very funny to listen to the Irish radio because they're so different. Um, and, and in a way, um, it's so, such a blessing to us as well in the way that they, uh, they speak, in the way that they encourage each other. And I listened to this, um, this little program. They're giving this guy some airtime because he's just been voted um, Ireland's number one carer. His name's Peter Reardon. You can actually listen again on the RTE website um, to this program. Um, this guy is an amazing example of humility. He, um, he was married for 48 years to the same lady, and uh, she became really badly ill. And for the last two years of her life, he sacrificed everything to care for her. And he, he shared a little bit about his story in that sense, and, uh, and they just let him talk. And he said, you know, it was, um, I just loved her. And then she, she passed away. And, and he could feel the sadness in his voice as he, as he said that. And, and people said to him, um, the, the, the interviewer said to him, what would you say to people who are going through similar situations? And he said, you know what, people always say, why me? And he said, well, I can't ask that because I know that there's a thousand reasons why me. And he said, there's nothing good about me. And that was his attitude. And he said, not that I'm a bad man, don't get me wrong. He said, but there's nothing special about me why I should be treated any different. And I just thought, wow, that was incredible. And he now spends his life, literally all of his life, he's 82 years old, and he spends every minute of every day caring for people in his community. Teenagers, teenage mums, right up to um, the elderly and those that are dying. And he just gives out of what he's got. It's amazing. And, and God's raised him up to number one in Ireland. <laughs> so um, I just wanted to share that. I don't know if you've ever, um, as well, this weekend the golf is going on. Um, a good way to develop humility is to play golf. Um, I was reading a book about humility. There is actually a book called Humility, True Greatness, um, by a guy called C.J. Mahaney. He's a fantastic uh, speaker and, and author. And he said, he said the, number, the first thing in the, in the line about how to develop humility was play golf. <laughs> uh, I, last time I played golf was quite a while ago. I bought all my clubs from the tip um, because I couldn't afford a set of clubs. So I went down to the local uh, dump, uh, refuse, and they were selling them for about a pound a club. I thought, oh, I'll have a set of those. So I got myself a set of clubs, and I set off down to the golf club to go on the driving range. And it was like a pay-as-you-go thing. So I went in there, load of balls. I thought, this is going to be great, looking around. These guys don't look any better than me. I thought, I could do this. So <laughs> got out the first club, hit the ball, like I've been shown how to, and um, it went great for about 50 yards, straight as anything, and it just turned right. <laughs> I just, oh, how did I do that? It, it just it went completely straight and then turned right. No reason, into the nets, fell down. Tried again, same thing happened. Thought, I'll change club. It'll be the club. That's what it is, can't be me. So I tried the, uh, the three wood that I got from the tip. First shot, no joke, okay, no lie, hit the ball as hard as I could, and the club snapped in half. <laughs> half of it went circling off down the driving range, and I was left with this piece of metal in my hand. And I turned around, and there was about ten guys, and they were all just like, you all right? <laughs> I thought, yeah, I got that from the tip. You know. But <laughs> it was very embarrassing. The last time we actually played golf, a group of PE teachers, never a good idea. Um, we went down to uh, Brampton Heath and we decided to play the front nine um, and it was terrible. It was just embarrassing. Dave turned up in his wellies. Um, Riv decided he was Tiger Woods, that's another friend. 
And I was hopeless. We had to let about five different groups play through because we were so slow. I think one of my clubs ended up in a tree um, and about five or six of the balls ended up in the lake or a river. So, yeah, golf is a good way to develop humility. (laughs) Confession time, isn't it? Well, let's get into the Bible because 2 Corinthians 12, um, if you have your Bibles, um, is a really key text for me this morning. 2 Corinthians 12. Reading from verse 9, just a couple of verses. Okay. So obviously Paul speaking, and he says, But he said to me, as in God, uh, he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. This is verse 9. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I'll just rewind to where he says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. This is a man who didn't design programs He didn't um, go into churches and say, I've got a three-point plan that's going to take you from here to there. He didn't say, I've got uh, all the experience you need to take you from A to B. I'm going to improve your church, grow your numbers, and sort out all your biblical problems. This was a man who trusted entirely in the the day-to-day inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the guidance from God's Word and from what he knew of Jesus to actually get through each day. And this is a man who spread the church across Europe and potentially the world. So he understood about weakness and how important it is to let Christ rest on you. So let Christ rest on you this morning. It means acknowledging that he has all the power. We claim no credit for what happens. We give all the glory to him. We need to be familiar with the floor. I don't know how often you kneel or put lie on your face. It's a good position to be in before God. He meets you there. Sometimes, you know, we're quite proud and we think, oh, I should stand upright, you know. Uh, actually, humbling yourself physically can really help uh, in, in putting yourself in the right position before God. The Holy Spirit comes to rest where humility and obedience are found. If you create the environment, he will come, and in great power. If you look at the people throughout history who have been used by God, they have been the humblest. Sometimes the prisoners, sometimes the rejects. You take a man like, um, we often mention him, Smith Wigglesworth. He was a plumber who couldn't read or write. God taught him to read through the Bible and used him mightily to heal people and even to raise the dead. So let's look at a character in the Old Testament. We're going to go to Judges chapter 6, if you have your Bible. It's um, a book, if you've never read Judges, about mighty men. But they don't all start off or end mighty. Um, mentioned Samson before. He was one of the judges. These were kind of rulers um, way back, thousands of years ago, in Israel. And um, Gideon is the one I'm going to focus on this morning. Very much speaking to myself here, because I know that uh, when I was preparing this, God was saying, you know, this, this could be you. You know, this, this is... Um, This is relevant to every one of us. So Gideon, if we're looking at Judges 6, starting at verse 11, 
And we're going to come straight in there um, and read through to verse 16. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah. It's weird. <laughs> that belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Two things here. First of all, the angel of the Lord is understood to be Jesus, pre-incarnation. So before he's come to earth as a, as a man, he was uh, appearing like this in, in places throughout the Bible. Um, so this is Christ himself, the Son of God, appearing to Gideon. Pretty scary. And the second thing, Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press. Now you would know a wine press, obviously, it's like a, like a pit that you put all the grapes and you would tread them out uh, and the, the wine comes out. Um, threshing is generally done on the floor. Uh, so you would hit it with sticks and things like that and separate uh, whatever it is you're supposed to do with threshing. No farmer. So <laughs> he was hiding. He was scared. Um, and for good reason. The Midianites were a fierce army. Vicious, brutal, and feared throughout the region for a couple of hundred years. Um, and they had been raiding Israel regularly, taking all the livestock, burning the fields, killing people, killing the men, taking the women. This was their standard um, procedure. So he was trying to hide the wheat from them so they couldn't take it. When the angel of the Lord, verse 12, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, I like this bit because this is one of the bits in the Bible where you can sense there's a bit of laughter. Um, and in verse 13, Gideon says, pardon me, my Lord. <laughs> you can imagine him saying, well, you are. Um, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. It's completely down. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have. And save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Okay. Go in the strength you have. God didn't require him to have any skills. He didn't even require him to have been to church or to have read anything. All he needed was a humble heart. And he found one in the wine press. And he said, am I not sending you? (laughs) I don't think Gideon realized at that point who he was talking to. Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Acutely aware of his own weakness, he answers back to God. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Now, you can imagine telling your mates about this afterwards. Yeah, yeah, right, Gideon. Yeah, and when did you wake up? Okay, so he's not only going to defeat the Midianites, they're going to kill them all. There must have been tens of thousands. So God chose Gideon. Deliverance arrived in the form of the Son of God himself. Gideon had no hope, didn't realize that God wanted to use him, but God chose him to demonstrate his power to the Midianites and to protect his chosen people. I find that amazing, to be honest. Gideon was the most humble of the most humble family in the most humble tribe in Israel. And he was very aware of that. He was very aware of his weakness. But he was also a man of great potential. 
And God could see what was within him. And God was going to bring that out. And he didn't know it, but God was going to do it. I don't know if you've ever seen at the zoo um, young lions playing. They're really funny to watch. Or tigers, for that matter. These large cats. Um, when, they're, when they're small, they're just like puppies or kittens. They, they just sort of play around and hit each other and flop around. And they just play and they nibble each other they? with their entire mouths, you know. But when they get older, when they, when they get to like a year old, they suddenly develop huge claws, don't they? And great big paws and big teeth. And suddenly they've got strength in their limbs. And when they play, they actually do damage to their, to their siblings. And the parents have to come along and bite them to stop them. And it's like they realize their strength as they get older. Before that, they're very vulnerable. But actually, as Christians, we can be a little bit like that. When we become a Christian, we can be like a young lion or a young tiger and be almost helpless. And we flop around, not knowing our power. But as we grow, as we get stronger, we become mighty in God. Not because of our skills, not because of what we learn, but because of what he does with us and through our experience. Isn't that true? It's amazing, isn't it? And this is what Gideon found out. So how do we flex those muscles? Well, we study God's word. We pray. Pray for spiritual gifts. Use spiritual gifts. Don't just have them. Make room for the prophetic in your life. So what happens next is Gideon goes and um, starts testing God. He's scared. So he does things with fleeces and stuff like that, tries to see if there'll be dew on them in the morning or if there isn't, and things like this. Test God to see if it's all true, if he hasn't like, hallucinated and imagined the whole thing. But if we go forward to chapter 7, um, verse 1 of chapter 7, the Midianites are back, and it's coming down to crunch time. And they're camped in the valley, and they're preparing to attack once again. So let's take it from verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 7. Early in the morning, Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all his men, so at this point he's got an army of 32,000, camped at the spring of Harod. don't think it's anything to do with Harrods, but it's there. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel will boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So... 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. Oh dear. Now, this would not go into the British Army military training handbook of how to fight battles. In those days, it was all about weight of numbers, and it was all about attrition. If we've got 100 more than them, we might win. (laughs) And in their case, they used to trust in God to give them the victory too, as, as did most, trusting in their gods. So this was a major setback. For Gideon, <laughs> okay? So go and tell them if they're not happy with this or if they don't fancy it, they can go home. Are you sure? Trust me. <laughs> so he does that, 22,000 go. He must be feeling quite demoralized by this point. But the Lord said to Gideon, there's still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you there. <laughs> I love that phrase. I was like, God just smiling at him and saying, I'm going to thin them out a bit because there's too many. All right, he says, seriously? Right, if I say this one will go with you, he will go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. It's fairly clear. Okay, God, you know what you're doing. Right, so so Gideon took the men down to the water. Now, you need to picture this in your mind. 10,000 troops get up and go down to the river. 
Now, we know that in these days, they would have had spies up in the hills watching. So this entire army is being watched. And the Midianites will be getting reports they've moved down to the river. So they'll be thinking tactically, what are we going to do here? We're going to cut them off. We're going to... So the scouts would have immediately reported this. And the, the soldiers that were smart would have realized that. So they go down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. What? So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home. 9,700, off you go. We'll keep those 300. Who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Why? Um, If you picture this, okay, 300 didn't kneel down and face the water. They picked water up and lapped it like that. They were watching out for their brothers. Okay, the rest were so desperate for their water, face down in the water, absolutely gasping. And they just went for it and drank. 300 of them had enough about them to look out for everyone else first and scoop the water up and drink it like that while keeping an eye out for the enemy. Because at any point, they could have been attacked from behind while they were kneeling down. God saw that. I think that's amazing, isn't it? Isn't that incredible? That God wanted those that were switched on to him and switched on to what was going on. 32,000 was way too many. God wants the glory. We sing to God be the glory. This is how he does it. 22,000 didn't fancy it. So God knew they were there out of duty. They'd been told to be there. It was shameful not to be there. So off you go, boys. Go home. Okay. 9,700 were quite focused on themselves. Self-obsessed. Lovers of self, the Bible calls them. They were just desperate for water and couldn't think of anything else. So when they got down to the water, that was demonstrated in what they did. And God said, I don't need you, because you're only looking out for yourself. I'll deal with 300 people whose hearts are in the right place and who are switched on. And I'll use them to win the victory. Awesome. Those are the men God chose. God chose. We must become a community like those 300 that looked out for each other. When we see one of our brothers or our sisters getting hit by the enemy, we need to be there to help them and be aware of it and be connected So that's the first challenge this morning. Why are you here? Why do you go to church? Why do you believe in God? Do you turn up to church out of duty? It's not enough. Okay. Do you turn up because you need it? Because it feeds something inside of you, like a big hole? And you need to suck it all in. I need need the attention. It's not enough. That's what the guys drinking were doing. Desperate to fill the hole. Or are you here to serve? Are you here to give? Are you here to look out for other people? Are you here to contribute? That's what God wants. Okay, there's so much in this, isn't there? Such a good story. In Africa, they have a saying, it takes a village to raise a child. We've lost that in this country to some extent. In many areas, we've lost it. Because we think that kids should be brought up by schools or something like that. We have this funny idea that it's all their job. And parents can, like, just abdicate responsibility. In Africa, they don't do that. They understand that, um, and in other parts of the world, I'm sure that the whole village contributes to that person becoming an adult. And they all take responsibility to discipline the child, to point them in the right direction, to catch them if they're going off in the wrong direction. Let's be like that. So let's see what God does next. 
We're still in verse 8. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I'm going to give it into your hands. If you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying. Afterwards, you'll be encouraged to attack the camp. So God knows that he's still scared. I would be. <laughs> There's something like, I don't know, maybe 40,000 Midianites, realistically, maybe more. And Gideon's got 300. I would be nervous. I would be seriously nervous. So he and, his, and Pura, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley thick as locusts. This is more than 40,000. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. This is a vast army. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. That was one perceptive dude right there. But Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation. He bowed down and worshipped. The first thing he did was bow down and worship. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all round the camp blow yours and shout, For the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch just after they changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars. Grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. They haven't even got weapons. They shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position round the camp, all the Midianites ran crying out as they fled. Wow. <laughs> I'm loving this. I don't know about you. <laughs> it's incredible, isn't it? What an amazing thing. But you see what's happened to Gideon? He said, follow my lead. This is the guy that was threshing wheat in a wine press. He was terrified of the Midianites. And now he's like a general commanding an army and leading, taking the initiative, saying, follow me, let's do this. You see what God saw. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. So they're killing each other. The army fled to Beth Shittah, towards Zerira, as far as the border of Abel, Mahola, near Tabath. Thank you very much. Israelites from Naphtali, Asher, and all Manasseh were called out, and they pursued the Midianites. Gideon sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and seize the waters of the Jordan ahead of them, as far as Beth Barah. So all the men of Ephraim were called out, and they seized the waters of the Jordan as far as Beth Barah. They also captured two of the Midianite leaders, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb and Zeb at the winepress of Zeb. They pursued the Midianites and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon, who was by the Jordan. Wow. This wasn't just a victory. This was a rout. These guys ran around in circles, killing each other, and then legged it out of Israel. And Gideon was smart enough to cut them off. Just as God had said, you will kill every one of them. 
And he did. It's vicious, isn't it? It's harsh. But God had promised it. So do you see what happens when Christ's power rests on you? See what happened to Gideon when Christ commanded him to go and he just went, eventually. <laughs> None of us are perfect. Okay? None of us are going to get it straight away and go, yes, God, I'm going. If we do, that's very special. Treasure it. But most of us take a little while, but it's important that we obey, that we eventually do it, that we are humble enough to go, yeah, okay, I'll put my ambitions and my desires to one side and I'll do what you say, God. And then Christ's power rests on you. We need to be humble and obedient, hosting his spirit. People outside the church need to see it, to be honest. What they see of the church at the moment is what they see in the news, which is by no means positive very often. So we need to be different. And God's building a community right here at Kingdom Life Church. A community supports and looks out for one another like an army does. That's very attractive to people when they see that you've got support. I often find that at work when I say to my friends, oh, I was out with some friends last night, we watched a film or whatever. And they're like, you got friends? <laughs> I work in a school, so they're teachers, you have to understand. They don't have friends, they don't have time for social lives. So they're like, oh, right, okay. Can, can I come? <laughs> it's, like, you know, it's, it's like that, guys. You know, you've got an amazing treasure here, this community. And we can either neglect that and let it fall apart, or... We treasure it, we stoke it up, and we watch each other's backs. We get each other back when there's problems, pray for each other when there's things wrong, help each other out practically. That's what a community does. And that's what most people lack, isn't it? People lack relationship um, these days. We all, we all seem to be plugged into our music most of the time. So what are the actions we can take from today? Um, Three things. First of all, be someone who is humble and obedient to God. Be familiar with the floor. Be someone who has Christ's power resting on them. And you, you ask for that, but also it happens when you're humble and obedient. And be someone that builds community and is a good friend. Earlier on, I said about go in the strength you have. And I felt that um, God wanted a response from some individuals this morning. Um, don't always do this. Sometimes you just you speak a word and it's like, that's enough. Okay, we'll just leave it there. Um, and other times you know that God wants to do something with people. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to, to respond just basically this morning. Um, because I really felt as we were worshipping that there were some here, and maybe more than some, maybe quite a few, that feel I can't. Okay, because of whatever's gone on, I just can't. And I don't have even enough strength to start to do what God wants me to do. Well, neither did Gideon. I just want people to understand that God just says go. Okay, ask questions later. With God, he doesn't give you all the detail. He goes, go. And then if you're humble enough to respond, he fills in the detail as you go along, and it's glorious. Okay, so I'm speaking to myself as much as you there, but that may be one thing. Okay, so you may need to to just respond to God saying go this morning. The second thing is uh, specifically to, I believe, the men here. God's calling a generation of men to be a revival generation, just like everyone else. But he's also calling a generation of men to rise up in community and watch each other's backs. 
and to stop playing at Christianity. Okay? I'm not trying to condemn you through that. I'm not trying to say, oh, you're not good enough or whatever. Um, I don't want to come across like that. But he's saying, will you stand up for me when it comes down to it? When it comes to the crunch, are you going to be there or are you going to take the quiet way out? Okay? In 2 Timothy 3, um, this is what I wrote down just before I came up. Um, There's a long list of what people will do in the last days, but... Um, It talks about having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. It says, avoid such people. We need to be people that are full on for God. Guys, speaking to you. Okay, and I believe if you you respond to that, I'm calling you out this morning just to do that. Okay, to actually say, all right, yeah. I'm prepared to do that. And to be committed, properly committed, not just like when it's convenient. So there's two things there. So first of all, it's those of you that, um, in fact, let's just do this simply. If you feel that you want to respond to the first one uh, about um, just having the courage to go, then why don't you just stand up right now? I'm not going to make this any easier than that, okay? I think it needs to be genuine. So let's make it nice and simple. If you want to respond to God and say, yeah, I'll go, all right, then stand up. Thank you, thank you, thank you. There we go. You know, standing up first is always the hardest because um, that's the really brave one. Yeah. And God sees that. And if you want to stand up for the second thing as well, then, uh, you know, to, to actually say to make God number one in your life and be fully committed to God, then why don't you stand up as well and say, yeah, okay, God, men and women, okay, men and women, because this isn't just a man thing, although it is a man thing, guys. So you're not exempt. This is a genuine thing. Gideon, okay, started off as a coward. Okay, just like the rest of us. Uh, And when faced with this challenge, he balked at it. He couldn't do it. But then God saw the general inside him. And I see the general in each of you this morning that's going to lead. And I want you to respond to that. So well done. Let's pray. Let's close our eyes. Holy Spirit, thank you that your word has found a place to rest in some hearts this morning. I thank you that there has been a response amongst these people that they want to go. They want to be the ones like Gideon that go, just like me. And God, I thank you for these men and women who have stood up and said that you're going to be number one. And I pray that you will hold them to that. I pray that we'll see the evidence of it and the fruit of that lifestyle. And God, I'll just thank you that there's no more messing about now. We're at war. We're at war with our enemy, and we win. We know that we win. So God, we're going to go. We're going to be committed. And I pray now that you will just come on each of these people, minister to them all individually, and seal what you've done here this morning in Jesus' name. I release you, Holy Spirit, to do what you want to do here. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just wait on God for a few seconds here. I believe that um, there's one other thing that God's saying. It's about freedom. Uh, There are some people here this morning who may be um, suffering from certain addictions. And God's given me authority to break you out of those addictions. 
And if that's you, I just encourage you, just while, while all our eyes are closed, just hold your hands out. Holy Spirit, will you come and break the power of addiction in Jesus' name? Break it. Break it in Jesus' name because it has no place on your sons and daughters. And we pray, God, you replace it with a free heart, a freedom in your spirit to choose. God, a freedom to not act out of compulsion, but a freedom to act out of choice. And I pray that you'll protect each one, Father, in Jesus' name. Yeah. Please do have a seat. I'm going to finish there because uh, my time is up. Um, I would encourage you to, um, during the week, why not read the story of Gideon? I missed a bit out, okay? Because I missed a bit out about where he was testing God and all that. It's well worth a read because it's, um, it's such powerful and so relevant to all of us. And maybe read the book of Judges if you're really into that. Um, and read the whole book because there's so many lessons in there about how God works with people and how God does mighty things through the most unexpected 